I invite you to turn with me to our reading for this morning, which begins in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 23, starting at verse 50. Luke 23, starting at verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was a day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. And our text this morning is verse 5, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever made an assumption about someone that later on turned out to be wrong? For example, maybe you're talking to a friend and you mention the name of someone that you both know. Your friend says, if only she knew what other people really think about her. And you right away assume that this is meant negatively. So you get irritated and say, why are you always going on about her weight? Now your friend becomes defensive and says, but I wasn't even thinking about her weight. 
What I meant was that so many people admire her for her character. Now you go from feeling irritated to feeling foolish because you made the wrong assumption and you responded in haste. Why then would we make assumptions at all? Well, the problem is that you can't live without them. We all have to make assumptions in order to function. You're making assumptions every time that you drive. You go out onto the highway and you, you assume that other people will stick to the rules of the road and they assume that you'll do the same thing. If you didn't both share those assumptions, then nobody would be able to drive. All of life is built on a series of assumptions. You would not be able to function without making assumptions on a regular basis. But for that very reason, it's so important for us to be mindful of our assumptions, to be aware of what we assume, especially when it comes to matters of faith. Because it's possible for someone to build their whole life on the wrong assumptions. And when those assumptions turn out to be wrong, it'll leave you confused and bewildered. That's what happened with the women at the tomb. They assumed that Jesus was dead when, in fact, he was alive. Why do you seek the living among the dead, asked the angels. And this, this question exposes their assumptions about God, about his word, and about the nature of Jesus. These people were believers, The passage does not suggest that that they were not true believers. They were believers, yet their assumptions about Jesus were totally wrong. It was not until their mistaken assumptions were exposed that the word entered their hearts and that the attitude was transformed. Now, this can happen to us too. We can have the wrong assumptions about God, about his word, and about the nature of Jesus. That's why our passage this morning provides us with a needed corrective. So we'll approach our text from the perspective of the question that was asked by the angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? And we'll pay attention to the purpose of this question and the comfort in this question. Now the purpose of the question that the angels ask is simply to expose the hidden unbelief in the hearts of these women and to call them to a deeper faith. And again, this this unbelief is not the same kind as the hardened unbelief that we find in the hearts of the religious leaders who had Jesus crucified. But it's still unbelief in the end. Luke highlights that in his account of the appearance of these angels. These angels do not try to calm the women down. You You don't hear them tell the women not to be afraid as they do in the parallel passages in Matthew And Mark, Luke doesn't record that part because his focus is different. In his account, we see the angels get to the point right away. The angels begin by addressing the wrong assumptions that brought these women to the tomb to begin with. It is true that they came with good intentions. They wanted to care for the body of Jesus. They wanted to pay their last respects. But if these good intentions contradict the reality of the situation, if they are opposed to the words that Jesus had spoken to them earlier, then then their assumptions need to be corrected. And this is true for us today as well. Good intentions do not make for a good Christian. 
they don't even make you a Christian in the first place. If your foundational assumptions about God are wrong, then you need to repent from them, and you need His Word to correct you. Maybe you thought that the resurrection was just a metaphor for a new hope or something like that. Or maybe you you believe that God was powerful enough to raise Christ from the dead, but this reality has not made much of an impact in your own life. Maybe you're not the kind of person who spends a lot of time thinking about these kinds of things because you're too preoccupied with other interests. Maybe you've never really put it in these words before, but this is where it's at for you. That's why it's so important for you as a believer, for us as believers, to constantly question our own assumptions and to ask whether or not they, they stand up to the light of Scripture. In this particular case, the foundational mistake that the women make in their thinking becomes clear in the question that the angels ask them. The angels ask, why do you seek the living among the dead? And, and that word seek stands out to us. This is an active word. They're seeking for his body in the tomb and nowhere else because they assume that he's dead. Why do they assume that? Because they didn't believe what Jesus had told them earlier. He'd already told them at the very beginning, as early as Luke 9 verse 22, he told them that he would be murdered and that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. Evidently, his followers, including these women, simply had not believed his words. How is this possible? How is this possible when some of them have followed him for three years, when Jesus has laid everything out for them so clearly? Well, it's because not all of his words had penetrated their hearts because of their assumptions. That tells you something, by the way, about the human heart, doesn't it? About how hard it is to get through to the human heart. They must not have thought he was speaking literally when he told them about his future resurrection. In other words, they underestimated the power of God. So when the moment of crisis came, they assumed that the situation somehow was not unfolding as planned. They had only half a gospel. And half a gospel is not enough to comfort you when life becomes rough. That's usually when you find out the... the um, how seriously you've taken the things that you professed is when things become difficult. And that sometimes, some people sometimes find out that that's when, they, uh, that's when they realize they've only had half a gospel. It's not enough to comfort you when life becomes difficult. Now, the women had not taken Christ at his word when it came to predictions of his own death. Not only that, but they also made a mistaken assumption about death itself. If you seek the living among the dead, that can only mean that you really believe that death does have the last word. That's why the question that the angels asked is actually a disguised rebuke. It's a disguised rebuke for their lack of faith. And it's therefore a call to believe that death does not have the final word. God did not want them to go out of that garden in needless despair. He wanted them to live with hope. Hope in the resurrection of Christ. Hope that death no longer has a final word. And through this passage, he extends the same hope to us. The women had not taken Christ at his word. So the question that the angels ask them exposes the hidden unbelief in the hearts of these women and calls them to faith. 
the antidote to unbelief is refreshingly simple. They need to remember what he said and to believe it. That's all. Just to take Christ at his word. It always comes back down to the word. These women had heard what Jesus said, but they didn't heed it. They would understood it with their heads, but not with their hearts. And all they need to do is, is to go back to what he said. This aspect of understanding with your head but not with your heart is something we do all of the time. It's possible for us to have a, a kind of faith that accepts what the Word of God says on an intellectual level. You might think that the Bible is a useful moral code. You might derive inspiration from the stories it contains. You might even believe it on a historical level. You can have a great deal of head knowledge about the Bible, but until that head knowledge becomes heart knowledge, until you experience the truth of the things that you profess, your faith will be incomplete. You need to take Christ at his word. That is what the women had to do as well. That's the only way that they could make sense of the empty tomb. It's interesting that after the women remember the words of Christ in verse 8, you hear nothing about the angels anymore. Did you notice that? The angels are there for the minimum amount of time possible. Very different, by the way, from extra-biblical stories. There, there, there are more stories from that time period that are not in the Bible that often go on at length about, about angels and about the various things that they did and so on and that have this real obsession with the supernatural. That's not the case here. These angels are on the scene. They're on the stage, so to speak, for the smallest amount of time possible just to make this one point to get these ladies to go back to the Word. Their only purpose was to remind them of what Christ had said, and after that they disappear. So that's where the focus is. The focus is on the word of Christ. Is that where it is for us as well? Without that faith in the word of Christ, there's no comfort in the resurrection. We see that in Peter's initial reaction when he comes to the tomb. Verse 12 says that after he saw the empty tomb, with the linen cloths by themselves, he went home marveling at what had happened. It's also striking, by the way, that, that Peter was the only one who made the effort to go to the tomb. Isn't that interesting? You would have thought when the, when the women came with a story that all of the disciples would have gone down there collectively, but that didn't happen. Peter was the only one, and it says, well, in the other Gospels, of course, John as well, but Peter is singled out here, and it really says, it, it focuses on that word marveled says that he marveled. But marveling is not the same thing as faith. The crowds did this all the time, didn't they? Marveling at the empty tomb is not the same thing as believing that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Marveling is not the same thing as accepting him at his word. And so, Peter has no new message to share with his fellow disciples when he goes back. He has no comfort to extend to those who are disappointed and disillusioned in the gospel as they understand it. Why not? Because he didn't really understand it himself. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you too are feeling somewhat disillusioned in your faith. If that is the case, have you perhaps in your own way been seeking the living among the dead? Have your foundational assumptions about God 
and about His power being shaped more by your experiences and less by the Word of Christ. Maybe you're sitting here this morning totally confused by what's going on in your life right now. Maybe right now you feel like everything you thought you knew about God and about faith is wrong. Maybe your experiences have shaped your foundational assumptions about God and about His power in a way that confuses you and you don't really know what to do with that. You don't really have a box to put that in. Well, that's exactly what happened to these women. Their foundational assumptions about God and His power were shaped first by their experiences and only secondly by the Word only second by what Christ had told them. That's why they were so distressed on Easter morning. If that's you, then the question to the women is a question to you as well. It's a question that calls you to repent from your assumptions and invites you to a deeper faith. It's also a question that contains comfort if you know how to find it. And that's our second point, the comfort in this question. What is the comfort in this question? The comfort is, quite simply, that the question assumes that the resurrection is real, that this was a real historical event that really happened at that specific time and place. When they ask, why do you seek the living among the dead, they're implying that Christ is really alive. That's not something we accept easily. Not even the people back then. Not even the people who loved Christ, not even the people who really, really, really wanted the resurrection to be true. You know, we often assume that people were more gullible back then. This assumption is actually a disguised form of arrogance on our part. It's as if we think that simply because our age is more technologically advanced, we are less inclined to believe in miracles. But the fact is, people back then were just as likely not to believe in miracles, especially not the resurrection from the dead. In fact, people back then were much more familiar with death than we are. Thanks to modern medicine, death from causes other than old age and its related illnesses is generally rare. And it is quite possible that a certain percentage of Um, us who are sitting here this morning, especially the younger members, have never before seen someone die. Maybe you've never even seen a dead body. You actually have no idea what it looks like. Well, death was a lot more common back then. So if anything, we're the ones at a disadvantage here. We're the ones who have less experience with death than they did. If 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 anyone would be in denial about death, it would be us. They had a lot more experience than we do when it comes to death. And for that very reason, they were just as unlikely, or maybe even more unlikely to believe in the resurrection from the dead than we would. Besides that, the writer of this gospel, Luke, was a medical doctor. Now, of course, the practice of medicine back then was different than it's now. It was a lot less advanced, but the basics were there. Roman medicine had advanced to the point where people were able to survive basic surgeries. So Luke, more than anyone else, is qualified to write about a topic like the resurrection. 
After all, he, he of all people, I mean, this is a doctor. He's not going to assume that the resurrection just happened. That's not how these people think. Another point to keep in mind is that Luke is writing his gospel as a piece of reporting for Theophilus, his sponsor. If you, if you were to go to Luke 1 verse 3, you would see that he had written this gospel for, for a sponsor. Uh, somebody who apparently was um, not familiar with the story. And regardless of who Theophilus was, it's clear that, that Luke has... Um, done a lot of interviewing, he's made his case, he's gathered all this information, put it together into a coherent gospel account. And, uh, and this was meant to persuade people. Luke was an educated man writing for educated people. If he'd, if he'd made up the story for, for educated people, he's really not going to have women as his primary witness. You see... In the culture of those days, the word of a woman was simply not worth that much. Um, was it sexist? Probably. Do we like it? No, we don't, but it's a simple historical fact. The word of a woman back then was not worth as much in a court of law, not worth as much in terms of, of, uh, of evidence in general. There was a writer from that time period called Josephus, and he put it this way. This is a quote from him to give you an idea of how people thought. He said, quote, let not a single witness be credited, but three, or two at the least, and such whose testimony is confirmed by their good lives. But let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex, end quote. In other words, don't take the testimony of a woman seriously because you can't take women seriously in general. So in the mind of many people in those days, the testimony of a woman was worth much less than the testimony of a man. So now, imagine you're going to, to um, write about the story, the resurrection. If, if, you, if you were planning to make up a story like that, the very last thing you would do is to use the testimony of women to convince doubters. You're not going to do this. That's simply not the convention of writing back then. Besides that point, even, even if the angel had first appeared to the men, that would have made no difference. The twelve disciples were utterly skeptical. You know, we saw earlier, it was, uh, most of them stayed behind. They didn't even bother to go and check out what had actually happened. Our passage says in verse 11 that these words seemed to them an idle tale, very condescending. <laughs> it's just so condescending if you think about it, these this attitude that they had, well, these, these women just hysterical. It's an idle tale. That's why the story is so realistic. It's got the ring of truth to it. They're really not about to believe that the resurrection had actually happened. So you have to add up all of these factors together. The testimony of Luke, who's a doctor. The inclusion of women at a time when their testimony didn't count for much. The skepticism of the disciples who should have, of all people, known better and didn't. You add all of this together, it's clear that the story cannot be a fabrication. The fact is that the resurrection did happen, and even the very question that the angels ask already reveals that. Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
The question is comforting. Because the resurrection is God's announcement to the world that the power of death is now broken. Jesus is alive. He's alive as a resurrected man. He lived as a man. He died as a man. He was betrayed, as the angels point out, delivered into the hands of sinful men, and then he was crucified. He was crucified as a man. And that, that word crucified reminds us of, of the purpose of Christ's death. See, the angels refer to this in verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. You have that word sin there, sinful men, and be crucified. Why did, they need, why did he need to be crucified? Because his death was a punishment for our sins, because we are sinful men and sinful women. But the Bible also, the, God says in, in numerous places in Scripture that, that he punishes sin. But the Bible also says that Christ died for sinners Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. As 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 puts it, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ died for sinners. Christ was raised for sinners. And this is why the resurrection is such good news. The resurrection proves that God accepted his death instead of ours. The resurrection proves that the sacrifice of Christ was accepted by the Father. So the resurrection is a public statement to the whole universe that the curse of sin has been broken, the power of sin has been vanquished, the penalty of sin has been paid. And that means genuinely meaningful life is possible. Life with hope, life in this world and in the world to come. Because not only is Jesus truly alive, but he calls us to share in that life. Not just biological life in the sense of, of plain existence. This is not about being raised and then continuing as you are right now. No, this is much more. This is life understood as a relationship with God through Christ. That's what life is about. Easter is not just an announcement of the life of Christ, but through faith, Easter is an invitation to share in that life. It's an invitation to share in the life of Christ through a relationship with Christ. A relationship with God through Christ, mediated by the Holy Spirit, a life-transforming relationship. That means you can no longer seek for your meaning among the dead. Who are the dead? The unbelievers, the skeptics, the cynics of this world. And you cannot think like the dead anymore. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, did what? He made us alive with Christ. Christ is alive. He's abundantly willing to share that life with us. You see, the women were seeking for the living among the dead. They were seeking Christ. But in reality, Christ is the one seeking them. 
It's that love of Christ that sends those angels to remind them of His Word. It's the love of Christ seeking out His people to, to bring His Word to them today. That's the love of Christ. The gospel, the Easter message for you this morning is the love of Christ to you. The Word of Christ to you. He uses His Word to give faith to His church. It's because the living Christ seeks us that we, in turn, are unable to seek Him and find Him. That's how on the one hand Isaiah can say, seek the Lord while he may be found, while on the other hand Jesus could say, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Lord seeks us through his word. At the beginning of the sermon we noted that we built our lives on a series of assumptions. We assume that the world as we see it today is the way that it really is. We have all of these assumptions, and so often we try to shoehorn our faith in between assumptions, and and maybe some of these assumptions are secular assumptions, and it doesn't sit well with our faith. It doesn't work. The world is spiritually dead. That world out there is spiritually dead. You will not find the living Christ if that's your starting point. You never can. The world is utterly unable to offer us this life. We need to find Christ in His Word, and we need to believe what He says. And sometimes it takes time for that Word to move from our mind to our heart. And our Lord needs to have a lot of patience with us, and He is very patient with us. He's patient with us so that we do understand But he does call us to believe, and he does call us to repent from any mistaken assumptions. Because living your life with the wrong assumptions can have dreadful consequences. In his grace, God has given us the gospel of the resurrection to correct those assumptions. He calls us to live in the light of the resurrection. We should not go through life assuming that what we see is all that there really is. And that that's the way things really are. It's possible for Christians to develop a certain cynicism about life. Cynicism about other people. In the process, you might one day find that you're living without hope. Don't do that. Let the resurrection remind all of us that God's power is not limited. That he is most certainly at work in the world around us. That he is at work in us as well. So live with an open mind. Pray with an open heart and expect to see great things. Amen.